Nature doesn't hurry, yet everything is accomplished. The ancient Chinese philosopher Lao Tzu. Welcome back to Dead and Gone in Wyoming, a monthly podcast telling the stories of this remarkable state's most enduring murders and disappearances. This month, as always, I'd like to remind everyone that this podcast contains depictions of disappearances and murder that some listeners might find disturbing. Listener discretion, as always, is advised. And coming up on this month's episode, an experienced hunter sets off on his own and never returns to camp. But among the usual suspects, the bears and the bitter cold, this story may yield something deeper and darker and just below the surface of the frozen Wyoming ground. The town of Moran, Wyoming is itself not much more than a firehouse and an elementary school. Most people who know of Moran, if they've heard of it at all, would recognize it as a gateway to the Grand Teton National Park and all of the beauty within. The Tetons are the postcard version of Wyoming. The distant, jagged peaks, the lakes, rivers, and valleys, and the seemingly always clear, blue, cloudless sky. Now, if you ask me, every part of Wyoming has its own beauty, but there are places in the state that allure even the locals, and the Tetons are one of those. And 25 years ago, three men from Fremont County made that pilgrimage across the states to the Tetons for an elk hunt. But only two of them came back. On September 20th, 1995, at about 2 p.m., 65-year-old Ivan Schaefer parted ways with his hunting companions, Alan Brown and Jim Keene, near Coulter Meadows. But Ivan Schaefer was never seen again. They'd been hunting on foot. Schaefer had been wearing blue jeans and an orange Elmer Fudd-style hunting cap and snowpack boots. Ivan was also carrying a .30-06 and plenty of cigarettes. He was too old for this by now, by health, not necessarily by age, but Schaefer was overweight and he was a chain smoker, and his replacement hip had been giving him trouble as of late. He wouldn't travel more than 500 yards or so on foot before needing to stop for a rest so far on this trip, but Ivan Schaefer was not one to stop. He just kept going. This was by no means the first time that Schaefer had left his wife and son back in Riverton to make one of his trips with his hunting companions. Yet he was getting on in years, and yes, his hip had been giving him trouble. But who was anybody to tell Ivan Schaefer that his elk hunting days were behind him? Nobody was going to tell that man he couldn't go on that fateful trip. When Ivan Schaefer of Riverton failed to report back to the elk camp that evening, his two hunting partners rode by horseback for help. And the search began. Within a week, 11 different agencies had become involved in looking for Ivan. We've talked on the podcast in the past about search and rescue efforts for people who go missing in the Wyoming wilderness. Authorities in places like Wyoming deal with disappearances on a regular basis, and they usually find the person that they're looking for, typically within a day or less. And very, very often that person is found alive. 
the same week that Ivan Schaefer went missing, for example, three other people were reported missing, including a tourist from California who'd fallen off his horse and a local man who wandered away drunkenly from his campsite. He found his way back. He rescued himself before he was found by searchers. But suffice it to say, officials in this part of the country are used to looking for missing people, and they find them about 95% of the time. But when the days tick by and you don't find the person you're looking for, we start talking about those other cases. After nearly a week, Ivan Schaefer was in that extreme minority of people who were searched for but not found. And the search for Ivan was unique in a very particular way that gave authorities an advantage that they're not used to having. Ivan Schaefer probably couldn't go that far. His hip, by all accounts, was preventing him so far on that trip from moving too far or too fast. That would apparently be great news for the searchers because it will certainly help them shrink down the vastness of the possible search area. And it should allow the search effort to be more sharply focused on a more detailed scope. That is, if they knew where to start. Schaefer had been last seen in a meadow, nine miles north of a trailhead, where he'd become separated from his hunting companions. Schaefer had said, I'll go off on foot over here for a while, and he just never came back. Dozens of searchers rode on horseback, and three dog teams were flown in. Fixed-wing aircraft searched for Schaefer by day and night, looking to spot a campfire that he might have started, or any other sign of him. And while Schaefer was relatively immobile... It was a challenge for searchers to know if they were looking in the right place at all because the area that we're talking about is as remote as you might imagine. The places being searched for Ivan Schaefer were well off the beaten tourist path of the National Park or the National Forest. The trio's elk camp was situated in a valley between three peaks. It contains pockets of snow pretty much throughout the entire year, even during the summer, and it's vast to say the least. A person could fall just the right way out of sight, and their remains may never be found. But the area that we're talking about, in the valley, at the elk camp, is also relatively open in places, which is what draws the elk that Schaefer was looking for there as well. So the searchers, who were clad in bright orange hunting vests themselves to prevent being accidentally shot by other hunters, because keep in mind it's elk hunting season during the search, but everybody was pretty optimistic. Here's a guy that can't go very far. And while this terrain is remote and rugged, it's also relatively wide open. But after five days and nights, during which temperatures would have bottomed out well below freezing each night, the search effort for Ivan Schaefer had yielded not one clue or trace. And none of the other hunters in the area of that valley had reported seeing him either. What the searchers did find were bears and plenty of them. Grizzly bear attacks on people are actually extraordinarily rare, but they do happen. And the place in this country that those bear attacks occasionally do happen is that area of western Wyoming, where Ivan Schaefer went missing. As a matter of fact, the same week that Schaefer went missing and not far away, a grizzly bear mauled a hunting guide from Cody, who almost certainly would have been killed by that bear were it not shot by another member of the hunting party. His hunting companions weren't sure, but they didn't think that Schaefer had been carrying any bear mace when he had disappeared. So while searchers had found no trace of a bear attack, it was certainly possible. And whether it was a bear 
or hypothermia or Ivan Schaefer's hip leaving him stranded to the elements, the search for the Riverton Hunter was called off seven days after he disappeared, still without a trace of him being found. There are two forces of nature which must be respected at all times, mountains and water, because both have the ability to decapitate your sense of prevailing species. The ocean is indifferent, and the mountain doesn't care that you're on it. But you don't belong in either place. This is why we're drawn to sail on the water, and we're drawn to climb the mountain, I believe. As the man once said, we climb the mountain because it's there. But that's not entirely accurate, I don't think. We climb the mountain not just because it's there, but because we're not supposed to. Because it's forbidden. It is formidable, and it can kill us, and we know it. And that is where some of the beauty is. That is where the feeling comes from when you get to the top. The peaks are jagged and the water is endless, and that's beautiful in and of itself, yes, but you can get that from a picture to be there and to possess the knowledge that but for the boat that you're sitting on or the hiking boots that you're walking in, you would be as dead as though you were never born. That is alluring in a way that many of us are not comfortable exploring because you are not attacked by nature. You are enveloped by her. And many times when you realize what's happened, it's too late. If you've ever been in just a little bit over your head on a lake or the ocean or on a mountain or, or just hiking out in the wilderness, you know exactly what that feels like and you've never forgotten it. That moment happened to you because you forgot your place in the universe. Maybe even for just a moment, but that's all it takes. It's happened to me. And because it's happened to me, I've wondered what it feels like to know that you're really in trouble out there. That's the first thing I think about every time a search is launched for a missing hiker or a backpacker. I wonder what must they be thinking right now? What must they be feeling? And by the time the news reaches the rest of us, they've already seen that elephant. And they may even already be dead. How many survivors of harrowing Extremely unlikely events, from bank robberies to plane crashes. How many times have you heard those survivors use the phrase, I thought I was going to die? It will give you chills to realize that every single person who's ever gone missing in the Rocky Mountains has thought the same thing, except they've been right. The gut instinct, to use his words, of the Teton County Sheriff at the time, a man named Roger Millward, was that foul play was not involved in the disappearance of Ivan Schaefer. At least he wouldn't say so publicly, not right away. No, instead what Sheriff Millward said to the press was that maybe Schaefer had a heart attack. Given his age, he could have been killed by a bear, even though there was no sign of a bear attack that was found by searchers. Perhaps he fell in a ravine. Simply, he might have just out-wandered, out-walked the search area. Maybe they were underestimating the man's ability to travel under extreme circumstances. But if you're wondering, the sheriff's department did take a second look at the two other hunters, Alan Brown and Jim Keene. At this point, eight days after their hunting partner went missing, 
the sheriff had a couple of questions. And initially, at least, there were some inconsistencies with the other hunters' accounts of what had happened to their partner. Brown and Keene, who were both from Lander, and both about 15 years Schaefer's junior, told police that the hunting party was within the Coulter Creek campsite area for the several days leading up to Schaefer's disappearance. Meanwhile, phone records indicated that Schaefer had placed a call to his wife using his cell phone on September 19th, the night before he disappeared. But the sheriff's department wondered about those two facts, because they weren't sure that a cell phone call could be made from that part of the wilderness near the Coulter Creek campsite. There was also a photograph taken by one of the hunters in the area where they said they'd last seen Ivan. And police didn't recognize that spot, and they wondered if the photo might have been taken somewhere else, perhaps somewhere further away, perhaps a place where Ivan had been taken. Also, despite Ivan Schaefer by all accounts being a constant chain smoker, no cigarette butts or similar trash items were found at the campsite where the men were staying. The local sheriff in Teton County believed strongly enough that foul play could at least possibly be involved in Schaefer's disappearance that he turned the case over to the state and the state's investigators. But soon enough, two of the major inconsistencies, anyway, were cleared up. Investigators were able to successfully place that cell phone call from the campsite, and eventually the location in that photo near the campsite was found. And while other... Smaller inconsistencies remains like the cigarette butts. The sheriff said publicly that those two cooperations were enough to convince him that the story given by Brown and Keene was true and could be considered as hard evidence, and so police moved forward. And for his part, Brown called any speculation that he or Keene might have been involved in their friend's disappearance as, quote, absolutely bizarre. Meanwhile, the sheriff's department, which spearheaded the search effort, came under some criticism by some for not doing enough, as they said, to find Ivan in those initial days after he disappeared. Sheriff Millward publicly responded to these claims in the media, stating, quote, I find it ironic that criticism comes from people who were not present during the majority of the search. They did not see the volunteers marching through the woods from sunup to sundown. They were not aware of the personal sacrifices made. Those of us employed by the sheriff's office realize as public servants we will be subject to criticism and are prepared to deal with that, but our volunteers deserve nothing but praise. Unquote. One year later, in September of 1996, the status of the case of the missing Riverton hunter, Ivan Schaefer, was open but inactive, according to Sheriff Millward. It's not uncommon for hunters to be the ones to find remains in the woods, and as the following elk season, the 1996 hunting season, commenced within the Teton National Forest, that circumstance seemed to be the best hope for investigators and friends and family of Ivan Schaefer. But the 96 season came and went with no bones being found or any developments in the investigation. After the thaw, though, in spring of 97, a human skull was found by a hiker in Cash Creek Canyon near Jackson. And the skull was that of a middle-aged man. And the skull had been at the location for about two years, according to investigators. Naturally, there was some hope that the remains might be those of Ivan Schaefer, but investigators balked at the notion that it was Schaefer's skull, primarily because Ivan had dentures, and the skull still contained some upper teeth. The skull that was found, it was confirmed definitively later, was not Ivan Schaefer's. 
And it's believed by authorities to be a suicide, although police have never been able to determine who the skull belongs to. For those who were following the story back in Fremont County, it would take a few more elk seasons to stir up rekindled interest in the missing hunter's disappearance. And in the fall of 1998, three years after Ivan Schaefer had gone missing, another hunter riding on horseback found a bone fragment. Specifically, his horse found it when the horse kicked up a strange object which caught the man's eye. Think about that. After an eight-day full-scale search for Ivan three years before, covering who knows how much ground by land and air, all without finding a single thing, this horse just happens to step right on to what could be the first evidence of the missing hunter in three years since he disappeared. The bone was palm-sized and found about four miles from where Schaefer had been last seen. The piece was determined to be a skull fragment and was sent off to the state lab for further analysis. Meanwhile, cadaver dogs were brought into the scene, and they indicated to a pile of logs, a large pile of logs, which investigators planned to return to later when the weather cleared. And it took a couple of weeks for the weather to clear. In that part of Wyoming, oftentimes the first snowfall of the season will be the last time you're able to search an area like that. But authorities did find a window to allow for the second significant search for Ivan Schaefer. And this time, the epicenter was that log jam where the dogs had hit. Police cleared that log jam and they dug to the stream bottom. They searched for days, but again, no trace of the missing hunter was found. No other bones, no clothing, nothing. But there would finally be one small answer in the case. It took quite a while. Later in the summer, finally, in July 1999, State Lab DNA tests confirmed that that bone fragment found by the horse on that previous fall afternoon was indeed a piece of the skull of Ivan Schaefer, confirming he had died in that remote part of the National Forest. At this same time, in 1999, a different man, an unnamed man to this day, stumbled on some clothing in the woods right nearby, right near where the skull fragment had been found. The clothing that this man found matched the general description of what Ivan Schaefer had been wearing at the time, so the man collected the clothing, and then he threw it in the trash. Yes, and he wouldn't tell police about his find until 10 years later in 2010, when, of course, he no longer had any of the clothing. Police obviously were flabbergasted by this development, but it did spur the investigation a little bit. And they took the claim seriously, so they launched a new search more than 15 years after Ivan walked away into the woods, triangulating a new search area based on where the tipster reported he'd found that clothing in 99 and the location where the skull fragment had been found at about the same time. This search effort, now the third such search effort full scale by law enforcement in this case, finally yielded something. Authorities found, quote, items of interest, unquote. And they've been very tight-lipped about those items since, but they have allowed that one of the items of interest is remnants of a garment, without elaborating any more. It's kind of remarkable. Three separate searches for this man. And when items of interest are found, the response from law enforcement rings more of a homicide investigation than a missing persons case. Three hunters go into the woods, only two come out. Almost sounds like the start of a bad joke. 
But Ivan Schaefer's disappearance remains unsolved today. Of course, he could have been the victim of hypothermia, exposure, possibly an animal attack. But some believe he was indeed murdered. Of course, police looked at his two hunting companions, but let's not rule out this possibility, too. It is certainly possible that Ivan Schaefer might have been accidentally shot by another hunter. It's unclear, using the reports at the time, whether or not Ivan was wearing any sort of bright colored safety vest. He had an orange hat on, but that's it. Perhaps he was accidentally shot, murdered, and then his body disposed of. Might help explain how the man's rifle has never been found. Not to mention his silver belt buckle. Not to mention his Pentax 35mm camera or his Lakota-style knife. None of those items, as far as we know, have ever been recovered. Indeed, the Teton County Sheriff's Office has stated its belief on the record that at least one or two other people, aside from Brown and Keene, know exactly what terrible thing happened to Ivan Schaefer in the fall of 1995 in the most beautiful place on earth. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dead and Gone in Wyoming. By the way, there have been no further developments in this Ivan Schaefer disappearance since about 2010. Although, as you hear, authorities have a pretty active interest in it. And if you have any information about the 1995 disappearance of Ivan Schaefer, contact the Teton County Sheriff's Department at 307-733-2331. As for us, you can follow the podcast at Wyoming Podcast on Twitter. Reach out at wyomingpodcast at gmail.com. And this podcast is made possible every month by our Patreon supporters who receive early access to every episode. To become a supporter of Dead and Gone on Patreon, visit patreon.com slash wyomingpodcast. And to our patrons, my small but mighty group of Patreon supporters, your support, as you know, is greatly appreciated. Thank you so much. Don't be afraid to send messages, comments, questions about the episode through that platform as well. For everyone at 10cast and county10.com, I'm Scott Fuller, already looking forward to bringing you the next episode of Dead and Gone in Wyoming.